Cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. That's verse 22 from Psalm 55, which is the psalm appointed for today, June the 5th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We're uh, continuing our study in the books of Deuteronomy, the second epistle to the Corinthians that Paul wrote, and then also in the Gospel of Luke. And today, I guess the theme of the day would be something, something around the, uh, the, the, along the likes of, um, is it possible to hoard grace? Hoard grace. Um, and, and everything is grace. Remember that. Your very life, the fact that you draw breath, the fact that you can understand me, that you can hear me, that you can speak, you can fuss at me if you don't like things I say, the, the fact that you can do anything, the fact that you have life is grace. It's an act of grace on God's part. He need not have created you. You're not an essential being in the universe. He is. He's the only essential being in the universe. He, however, gave us grace to give us life. And then through his son, Jesus, gave us life eternal. And so all of life is grace, whether you know it or not. But once you've received grace and you know you've received grace, then, then everything literally should become grace. And so what we receive every single day comes from him. And we need to give thanks for that, not hoard that grace. It tells us something about what kind of God we actually believe in um, and, and how much we value his kingdom. Our, our hoarding tendencies do because it, it indicates if we're hoarding grace in any shape form or fashion if we're not proclaiming the gospel that has saved us if we're not giving freely to others if we're not extending ourselves for the kingdom if we're not seeking after the kingdom always if we consider ourselves to have achieved it or received it simply because we believed one time then we're hoarding grace but at the same time, we're not receiving any new grace. We can't. Our hands are full of the grace we've already received that we won't let go of. And so we're called to be those who not only receive grace, but who extend grace in every shape, form, and fashion. Because we're recognizing that we're receiving grace, that my very life is grace from God. And therefore, I want to give Him my life. And, and do we want to? How much of that grace do we hoard for ourselves? And, and that's a big issue in all these um, lessons today. Moses calls the people before him here in Deuteronomy and he, and he tells them, you saw everything that happened in, in the land of Egypt. You've seen all this stuff, what happened to Pharaoh and his servants in his land, the great trials your eyes saw, and those great wonders. And then he goes on to say this, but to this day, even 40 years later, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. So you saw all these things, but, but you didn't really understand what you saw. You haven't actually processed it. And I think it's true of all of us. It's not an unfair accusation at all, because it, it does have to do with receiving grace. And he counts it all down here. He says, I led you in the wilderness 40 years. Your clothes haven't worn out. Your sandals haven't worn off your feet. You haven't eaten bread. You haven't drunk wine or strong drink. That you may know that I'm the Lord your God. In other words, you're radically dependent on me. And I, and I have rewarded that dependence by being faithful to you even to the extent of your clothes and your sandals over the last 40 years. You haven't eaten bread, you haven't drunk wine or strong drink, but you've been sustained. You've been sustained by me. I can do anything. I can provide for this many people for 40 years in the wilderness and, and keep them um, not only alive, 
but doing fine. And then he says, then you came to this place, and these people came out against you. The the Sion, the king of Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, came out against you, but we defeated him. We took their land and gave it for inheritance to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of the Manassehites, those who didn't want to come into the land. They wanted to stay on the other side of the river. They wanted to stay there, and so they, they were given that land with one thing, one um, condition, and that is you've got to help us take the land before you can go back and possess that land. So, look, we've already defeated enemies, and, and look at all the things that God's done. Therefore, keep the words of the covenant and do, covenant and do them that you can prosper in all you do. You're standing today, all of you, before the Lord your God, the head of your tribes, your elders, your officers, the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and even the sojourner who's in your camp, the, the, those who are your servants in this. You're, you're here today so that you may enter into the sworn covenant of the Lord your God, which the Lord your God is making with you today, that he may establish you today as his people. So they've already done the thing at Sinai, and now they're re-upping the covenant here in, in Moses' final days because they needed to, because they were the ones who had not, um, they, who, who had grown up in the wilderness, remember, because that generation died. And so here Moses stands before the people, and he calls them to re-up in the covenant. Joshua's going to call them to re-up on the covenant. Every leader of Israel needs to call his generation to re-up on the covenant, and the same is true in the Christian church. It doesn't get passed down from person to person. In it, it, Salvation doesn't. It, it, but we pass it down by being clear about the, the demands of the gospel. We're, we're clear about those things so that our children, their children, will continue to participate in the covenant and prosper. And they'll continue to participate in the covenant in Jesus' blood. And they will be with us throughout all eternity. And, and it, it's got to be our passion to call Always the church to repentance, to call always the church to re-up their commitment to the covenant in order that we might enjoy the promises of God. And that's exactly what Moses is doing here. These people are already sort of in the covenant, but, but they've got to make a decision for themselves. And that's why Joshua is going to say, as for me and my house, we'll follow the Lord. Um, it's, it always comes down to you have to make a choice. It's not just passed on through circumcision. It's not passed on through baptism. It's a choice. It's an active choice that we as human beings have to make to continue in that covenant. It, it, it's not something we get magically through the imposition of water or the circumcision of the flesh. No, we've got to do it ourselves. It can be a one-generation thing. It can go away in one generation if we fail to hold people accountable and if we fail to, to offer that and to make sure that they've entered into that covenant, it's the reason that um, Moses, that the Lord breaks out against him, he hadn't circumcised his children when he was that way in um, serving his father-in-law, Jethro, the Midianite. And so God's, God said, you've got to bring your children into this covenant. You've got to choose today who you're going to serve. And so Moses knows how important this is to make this decision, but it, but it wasn't just oh, okay. We're gonna we're gonna do the circumcision thing. No, they hadn't done it. They had avoided it because it wasn't part of Midianite tradition. But now, if he's gonna be God's leader and he's gonna lead God's people, then he's got to bring his whole family into this thing. He's got to commit everything he's got to it. He can't hedge his bets and put one foot in each camp. Nope, You're gonna do that. God's gonna break out against him. And so he knows this. He knows the necessity of stepping into that. And in this gospel lesson today, a, a rich young ruler 
comes to Jesus after he's after Jesus has been blessing infants, and, and it got the disciples upset for some reason that he that they're bringing children to him. It's like, come on, stop bothering him with his stuff. And Jesus says, nope, let them come to me. Don't hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. And then the next thing that happens is this rich young man comes and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's an interesting question, and the phrase is is interesting to me. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, you know the laws of inheritance, right? You've got to be born into the right family. You've got to be named in the will. Somebody's got to die. Those are the answers to that question. Is, is the laws of inheritance depends on somebody dying. And it depends on you being in a relationship with that person such that you benefit from their death and inherit what it is you want. And so he wants to inherit eternal life, but, but wants to know one simple thing. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And so what do you, what do you mean, what, what do you do? And Jesus calls him out first and says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. That's an important distinction. We, we've got to be careful about the way we use that word because are we using it in a biblical way or are we using it in an earthly way? And so he says, you know the commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he says, all these things I've kept from my youth. And so what is he doing? He's naming all the interpersonal, not all of them, but he's, he's naming the interpersonal commandments. He, he left out the, the other thing, right? What did he leave out? He left his, out the man's duty to God. He only asked him about those that had to do with interpersonal relationships. And then he says, all these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus says, one thing you still lack. So you've done everything you can do that you see to do, but there's still one thing you have to do. And that's sell all you have and distribute it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Jesus offered this man an opportunity to become one of his disciples here in this. And we're moving towards the end in this time in this gospel and so jesus offers him an opportunity even at this late date to come and follow him it's the same offer that he made to all his disciples and the rest of them did exactly what he tells this man he has to do well not exactly they didn't sell it and give it to the poor but they walked away from their nets they walked away from the counting of custom in matthew's case all of them left behind what had come before because they saw that what he was offering them of surpassing worth but this man's problem is, is that he was extremely rich. He had already gotten an earthly inheritance, and that earthly inheritance had such a call on him and a pull on him, and he, wanted to, he didn't want to let go of it. He was hoarding that grace. But the problem with hoarding that grace meant that he was unable to grab hold of the grace that was on offer this day. And I think that could be our biggest problem, is we, we won't let go of yesterday's grace in order to receive today's grace. We show what we value. He valued his inheritance, in his, his earthly inheritance, more than he valued the possibility of inheriting eternal life because he wasn't willing to let go of his earthly inheritance in order to receive the eternal inheritance. And Jesus says how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Um, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God, and that's the issue. The issue is, is that we're hoarding a particular form of grace and our our hands are already full. We can't receive any further grace, and we won't let go of that grace in order to receive this greater grace. I've got friends who, who committed years ago to giving to missions every single year, and, and what became with them was it became such a joy to them that they continually increased the amount of money they were giving to missions every single year because what they found was there was a greater joy in giving it away. It was a marvelous testimony. It is a marvelous testimony. They're wonderful people. 
two of the finest people I know. And so the, they made this commitment, though, to, to say, how much can we, of what you give us, can we give away? Rick Warren made that same decision when he wrote Purpose Driven Life. That book was so popular, made him so much money. He paid back every dime he had ever received from the church and then began to reverse tithe. He lives on 10% of his income, gives away 90% of it. And I know that. I've seen him do it. I've seen him just give money away without getting any credit for it at all. So I, I don't care what you think of, of Rick Warren, and I don't care what you think of the purpose-driven church or purpose-driven life. The, the reality is the man lives his faith, and I know that for a fact. And so Jesus here is saying, you know, so what do we do, and, and how do we live? And, and it's we've got to give up today's grace in order to receive We've got to give up yesterday's grace, sorry, in order to receive today's grace. And we have to show what we count as most important. Is it the stuff of earth or is it the stuff of heaven? And, and Peter points out, you know, hey, we left our homes and followed you. We did what you told that guy to do. And it's just like, well, Abraham did. Just like, you know, Moses did. Just like all these people did. We're constantly being called to make that same decision. I can't make that decision for my progeny. They, they're going to have to face those decisions on their own. They're going to have to make the decision whether they're going to follow him or not. If the call comes to them, will they leave Kith and Ken and go and do what God called them to do? It's a hard thing to do. We were called to do that. Suzanne and I were, and I delayed for a period of time before I finally did it because I, I didn't want to face the, the people being upset with me about walking away and doing these things. But Jesus says it's, it's, it's the important thing. It's the call. And we've got to show how much we value his kingdom and therefore how much we value him by being called in this way and, and making the decision to walk away just like all these others have done. And so Paul's writing here, he's finishing up this, this part of the letter to the church in Corinth um, by talking again about the money and the collection that they're taking up for the benefit of the saints who are, who are struggling in other places. And, and he says, look, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty here. That's not what the issue is. He said, but, but what I am doing is you said you were ready to give. And so I, what I'm doing is I'm sending on ahead of you. I'm going ahead um, letting you know what the purpose of this next visit is going to be, and it's going to be to, to allow you to give what you said you wanted to give. And we don't want you to be embarrassed, and we don't want to be embarrassed on your account by you not doing that, because the Macedonian churches have already done this. They've already provided, and we've told them how great you are, and, and, and so we don't want you to be humiliated by that, and we don't want to be humiliated ourselves for having boasted and bragged upon you. So we have faith that you have truly perceived what it means to, to have received grace is to share that grace and to give it with others. And he says the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And what he's not saying here is a health and wealth gospel. That's not what he's saying, but he is saying that, it, that if you invest in God's kingdom, he'll invest in you. And, and, and it goes back to my friends that I was telling you about. The more that they gave, the more he got, the more they got, but the more they continued to give away. They saw it as a challenge and a blessing because they saw the blessing of the giving to others. And so the Lord blessed them by giving to them so that they could then be blessed by giving to the others. And if we consider that a blessing rather than an obligation, then, then we're far better off and far further down the road. And God will bless us so that we can be used as a blessing. And he says, God's able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things and at all times, you may abound in every good work. So the reason that he's giving you prosperity is that you may abound in every good work. It's not so that you could hoard it. It's so that you may abound in every good work. 
And then he goes on to say the same thing. He supplies seed to the sower. Bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which will which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And so if we hoard grace, then grace doesn't abound in our lives. In fact, we become mean. We become like Gollum with the precious. But, but if we give it away, if, we, if, if whenever we abound, we give that to others and, and generosity in good works, then God will continue to, to provide doesn't mean that we'll always be wealthy. doesn't mean any of those kinds of things at all. It, it just means that, that we need to be the kind of people whose joy it is to give to other people for the provision, for their provision. This man in the gospel decided, no, he didn't care about the poor, nor did he care about the kingdom. He cared about what he had. And he was willing to hold on to it, and therefore he couldn't receive this greater grace that's on offer, and the reality is he didn't see it as a greater grace. That's what his actions tell us, that he walked away. And so, where are we on that spectrum? Are we grateful for what we have? Are we satisfied with the grace that we've received? Or are we willing to receive more grace in a different way today? Or are we holding on to yesterday's grace? Or are we still coming and following after Jesus and seeking more from him always?